I am delighted to welcome a friend and a classmate from INSEAD uh, to talk about her career from consulting to financial services to actually building something which is really close to my heart. As many of you know, my second book, Passion Economy and the Side Hustle Revolution, talked about how the creator economy is shaping. And Amita left a very, very successful career in consulting and financial services to embark upon that journey. Today, we're gonna talk about her career and about two companies that she's uh, been leading. So welcome to Amitha, great to see you after Fontainebleau. Yeah, it's good to be here, Utkarsh, good to see you again. And you know, it was nice to bump into you on the 10 year reunion this past summer. Yes, wonderful. So what did you like, uh, tell us, walk us through your journey after INSEAD. Why did you go to INSEAD and what did you do after? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So before INSEAD, I actually was working on Wall Street in New York. And I spent about five years uh, working there, but I knew I always wanted to build my own company, but I knew I wanted to do something before that, which is management consulting. So in order to transition my career, I, I always also wanted to experience what it would be like to just study abroad again. I did an exchange in London when I was an undergrad, and I heard great things about INSEAD. I had uh, friends of friends who had been there. So I was just intrigued, one, for the experience of just being in an MBA, being surrounded by really ambitious, exciting people, and then two, for the career transition of going from Wall Street to management consulting. So those were like the two main reasons that I uh, decided to go to INSEAD and pursue an MBA. And uh, what did you decide to do afterwards? And what was that like? Yeah, so um, I going into INSEAD, I was pretty clear that I wanted to do management consulting. I wanted to be at one of the top three firms. So it's funny because before before you get um, before the January uh, enrollment starts, like they connect you with your classmates. So in November, I remember meeting everyone and I was like, we should do case studies. And folks are looking at me like, OK, we all just met. You're crazy. But I was very gung ho on, you know, just getting prepared for consulting. So um Going into INSEAD, I knew I wanted to do management consulting. I kind of focused on that. I got an internship at BCG in New York uh, in the summer and then a full-time offer. So um, I think for me, it was like a very clear path of trying to get in. And fortunately, I was able to. Yes, and you did really well at BCG. Uh, BCG pays really well. Uh, living in New York, uh, it must have been a wonderful life, meeting diverse clients uh, and so forth. And then venturing into entrepreneurship, where every day is, uh, you know, like an existential struggle. Why yeah. did you quit your job? Yeah, um, you know, I I always wanted to start my own company with Garsh. In college, I remember um, Facebook had come and it was like we were one of the first schools that it had come to. And I'm like, wow, this guy's like my age and he's building a really cool tech company. But I think when I was like 20, I was just very insecure, if you will, or like unsure. I think there was like a lot of um, doubts or imposter syndrome. And uh, so in that plant, that seed was already planted way back. Um, and at some point when I was at BCG, I had got promoted to a project leader. I was doing that for a little over a year. I spent some time abroad. Um, I met with a lot of Fortune 50 clients and I felt like I was finally ready, like that imposter syndrome of maybe not having enough finances or maybe not being good enough. 
um, wasn't there anymore. And I'm super grateful for that experience. And for me, I always want to like not have regrets in life. And I just felt like if I didn't do this, I would regret it for the rest of my life because I knew I wanted to build something. I just, I wanted to do something bigger and like have a bigger impact in, on people and the world. And so that really motivated me to, to make that decision. I want to double down on the entrepreneurial journey, but before that yeah. you talked about imposter syndrome. Now, Wall Street plus INSEAD plus BCG does not scream of an imposter syndrome. This is uh, quite an elite uh, CV. Does that still happen despite your accomplishments and the pretty looking CV that you have? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's interesting. I feel like a lot more women deal with this. Like I remember um, uh, Cheryl Sandberg, uh, she had posted, I, I follow her, her Lean In series and she had posted there was like a case study done um, on in Harvard about like names being switched and and how essentially like women. Um, she she gave this example actually about how in in her book Lena and she talked about how her and her brother basically were studying for exams or like a male friend I can't remember the details but you know they were preparing for weeks and like the the friend or the brother was not and basically like the the day before everyone's like oh are you ready and like Cheryl and her friends were like oh I think like maybe we'll get there and then you know the the male friend or her brother was like yeah no we're gonna kill it and they didn't prepare at all and so I think it's like uh, an interesting dynamic between like the way female psychology and and male psychology works um I I still feel it to some extent but I I think I keep reminding myself that you know, there is a lot that I have accomplished. And, uh, and of course, there are things that I won't know. But it's just about like knowing that you've done it in the past, and you can do it again in the future. So it's it's a mindset shift for sure. But I, I don't think it just disappears. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. So um, you talked about why you wanted to be an entrepreneur. And that was something that you always wanted to pursue. But uh, how did you think of the idea? Was there some inspiration in the family or uh, did you have mentors who nudged you to you know, go on this path? Yeah, yeah. So growing up, my dad actually had a small business and I firsthand saw how he was like just working really hard to and how much passion and purpose he had while he was building it. And I saw the ups and downs and I saw how hard it was. So actually, initially, I, I did not want to go into business. And I was like, just physically, like I just saw the struggles. But then I saw this new world with technology and I saw like how you can scale. And and so for me, um, part of it was my dad's story. And then part of it, um, the inspiration for my company was really, I met my co-founder through an accelerator in 2020. And both he and I were passionate about just like building a technology that can really empower businesses. And for me, I really wanted to empower smaller businesses than the, the large ones. Um, and we started uh, testing different ideas. So my co-founder had been uh, experimenting with live shopping in China. So he was working as a CTO in a startup, but he was on the side experimenting with live shopping with brands and, and building an app. And so we initially started with that idea, which then had multiple iterations, pivots to what Playback uh, is today. Okay, wonderful. So uh, what is Playback? Yeah, um, so Playback today, um, we are an interactive video platform. So think of it like when you go on a website, there's a lot of text, a lot of images. It's really hard to kind of understand what is the story of the brand and how, you know, what makes it truly different and special. 
And so what we do is we create almost like a TikTok-like experience. It's short form interactive videos that are on the website. So it makes it feel more human and conversational, just like you would offline. And, um, you know, it's, it's pre-recorded short form videos. So just like you see a chat bubble on a website, it's a video bubble that sits on a website. And then we can do it off a website in email as well. That sounds fascinating. Your dad must be really proud of uh, where you are. So recently I read that uh, you had uh, you know, some version of an acquisition. That must have been an exciting outcome. Talk us through uh, the yeah. steps toward it. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, you know, as I said, when we first started, uh, Playback was live shopping. We actually, our bigger dream was to like build TikTok for shopping, what it is today. This is back in 2021. So we had onboarded about 300 brands, 300 small independent brands. We had 200 influencers. We were making like videos. We had a few hundred customers every month. But what we realized is we had raised a, a small round 500,000, but it wasn't enough to build a three-sided marketplace. And so because we weren't growing as fast, uh, scaling as fast, we actually in that process learned that the brand and the influencer actually have a big workflow problem, which is that it's a very manual. Everything is done through text messaging, through emails, through Dropbox, and there's a lot of back and forth. And I personally was doing all of that. And I told my co-founder, I was like, I cannot be like an admin assistant going back and forth, as well as like an agency manager, as well as like being the CEO and running everything in the company. So we had built a tool to manage that workflow process. And um, as we were thinking of, you know, when the marketplace, the three-sided marketplace uh, wasn't working, we're like, what else can we do? We started talking to our brands, influencers, and they're like, we like this product that we've been using, so we would love to use it. So our marketplace, which was more of, uh, you know, uh, just a model where we took commission, then transitioned into a SaaS product for brands and influencers to work together. And that is the piece of the business that we actually sold last summer in August, um, it's been a humbling experience. It's uh, it's it's been a good outcome for us and our investors, and we're really excited because um, as we were um, building this product, we were already looking at like AI capabilities to make it more automated, to almost make a virtual assistant like experience for the brands and influencers, and so that's what we're continuing to build post acquisition. Wonderful. Uh, it seems like you found a nice home for um, you know the mission and the company can go forward. Are you familiar with the cold start problem? Yes, yes. I started reading that book by Andrew Chen, right? Yeah, yeah basically the, the chicken and egg problem, demand yes. supply challenge, how do you build both sides of the marketplace? Mm -hmm. Do you yeah. have any advice for us on how, what were the highs and lows of solving the cold start problem? Yeah, so when we were building the TikTok for shopping, I think um, I think the biggest thing is you have to kind of focus on one side right? There's like net for network effects, but you, I, when we were initially, for us, it was actually a three-sided marketplace. So that made it even more complex because you had the brands, you had the influencers who were doing the videos, and then you had the end customers. And I think um, my general advice would be if you're trying to build a three, three-sided marketplace as a first-time founder, it's really freaking hard. And you definitely need to raise a lot more money than the, the 500,000 we raised. Um, I think the way that we thought about it, um, and we made a lot of mistakes with Garsh, like it wasn't it wasn't easy, but um, we initially wanted to get the brands on board because without the brands, we wouldn't have anything to to, to sell, right? And then um, the way we did that was literally like me sitting on the phone, like we had a list of brands and I would just like 
cold call, cold call. I made like hundreds of phone calls every single week. Um, and within like the first two months, we got our first 200 brands on just like that. So I think it's uh, it's really being scrappy and just, you know, just being persistent. I mean, the times that the number of times I got hung up on, it was like, ah, ouch. But then you just keep moving on. You're like, all right, just a bad day or like, this brand's not a good fit or they're busy or whatever it is, but you can't let these things get to you. Right. And so I think as a founder, you're just constantly, and we've all heard this, you're constantly hearing rejections, but you have to kind of just keep persisting. And so I think when it comes to a marketplace, pick a side and then spend, spend a decent amount of time and pick one thing in that side. Right. So we weren't spending money on paid marketing. We weren't trying to build content. We weren't, we weren't trying to do all of that because it was a very lean team on the business side. It was really me. And on the tech side, it was my co-founder and a few of our engineers. So I was primarily doing sales and uh, we had one other junior person who was supporting me. And it just, it wouldn't be possible if we were testing 10 things, cause we wouldn't know what's working. So my advice would be pick one side, um, and then just really double down and try different strategies. And if something is working like direct calling, then just double down on it and keep doing it. That's really useful advice. Uh, it's very difficult to solve the cold start problem when you're trying to solve three sides of the marketplace. Actually, yeah. I, I'm not sure if everyone would know the three sides. So demand supply people get. But uh, in your case, what made it more tricky? Yeah, so basically um, our supply was creators and brands because our supply was videos. We were trying to create short form videos that uh, basically people can buy like you and me or anyone. So. Uh, the problem we were solving was it's uh, independent brands. The way that they'd get discovered is through small boutiques. So whether you're in Oakland and SF and you're walking past like a mom and pop shop or an independent boutique, you discover a really cool brand or in Williamsburg in New York, like you have to go physically to the store, right? Or a lot of times these um, these brands, they have a website, but they don't know how to market it. And so what we were trying to do is we were trying to help these small independent brands grow and scale their business and get in front of a lot more people online. And this was during COVID. So in COVID, a lot of businesses were impacted as well. So we thought, why not create a space where all these cool independent brands could be discovered very easily? So the reason that it was three-sided is because our supply side, which is like what people are buying, was a video with the product. And so to create the video, a lot of these small brands, they A, don't feel comfortable on camera, B, don't have big marketing teams, and and C, just don't know how to, how to promote themselves. So we decided let's get uh, small micro nano influencers who are comfortable on camera, who are excited about like products uh, and match them up. And so supply for us was the video and the video needed both the brand and the influencer to make it happen. And so not only was it a three-sided marketplace, it also ended up being more of an agency business, which is really why we created that workflow tool because I was managing the intersection of the brand and the influencer going back and forth communicating to execute that video. Yeah. You know, entrepreneurship is uh, very much a daily grind and you have to enjoy the process as much as the outcome. So I'll discuss valuation and how you came to a number, et cetera. But mm -hmm. I will discuss the process. Uh, yeah. The day seems to be a challenging day. Sales, cold calls aren't exactly uh, pleasant things to go through if you're getting rejections. But it's like, did you enjoy the process? What was um, a memorable day in your life at uh, at the company look like? Yeah, so um, I actually, I really enjoy talking to businesses, small businesses. Like, 
I love talking to entrepreneurs because I think to be an entrepreneur, it just, it requires a lot of risk and it just requires a lot of passion. And so for me, I, I genuinely just enjoy talking to people, but like, especially the small businesses and entrepreneurs. Uh, one day I remember during the pandemic, I had spent a month in Costa Rica and I just every morning from like 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. I would, uh, or 5 p.m., I would just be making calls. Um, and I just remember one day I was making call after call after call and I was getting everyone to be really excited and saying yes. And I think I closed like 10 or 15 brands that day. That to wow, me was, what a day. Yeah, it was, it was super exciting because, um, you, just, you know, when you feel that momentum of just brands being like, yeah, this is like something that I really need and I want to grow my sales and you're offering them a solution. It's, it's just so exciting and hearing their own journeys of why they created the products they did was really exciting. So I just, I, I remember those days being like some of the highlights. And I think another day for us was when we launched our first video, uh, one of our first videos in the first week, we had one brand. It was a small independent brand that did over 180 or orders on the first like 24 hours of the video launching. And so that to me was, was quite exciting and validating. And the brand was excited. The creator was excited. We had 180 new customers all in less than 24 hours within the first week of launching the marketplace. So um, it was really good momentum. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. Uh, tell me uh, when you when you saw these customers making sales, having the kind of an impact, you must have uh, thought about your pricing strategy a certain way. Do you want to yeah. tell us how you went about uh, doing that? And in hindsight, would you have done it differently? Yeah. So, um, I mean, if we're still talking about the marketplace idea, the yes, way that. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Um, so our pricing was basically a percentage. Uh, we took a commission. So it was a percentage of the, the sale. And typically that's what marketplaces uh, tend to do. So they'll either charge like a flat fee to be on the marketplace plus like a take rate is what they call it, a yeah. percentage of the sale, uh, or they'll just charge the, the take rate. And so for us, we really wanted to, we were in the early days, we didn't want to charge a flat fee, especially because these are small businesses. Um, we decided just to do the take rate, the commission route. And uh, if you look at marketplaces, marketplace commissions, they can range anywhere from like 5, 10% to 25, 30%. And so for us, uh, we're like, okay, what is, um, we knew we weren't going to break even regardless until we got a lot of volume. So we're like, what is a good amount where we can, you know, pay the influencer a little bit of that commission and, and, you know, extend our runway as well. And uh, we were looking at competitor marketplaces that were in adjacent places. So if you look at like Etsy's or like fair at the time, uh, they were all charging between like uh, 10 and 25% and fair in particular was charging 25%. So we're like, let's, and, and that was doing like B2B marketplace similar, but not with, not with videos. And so for us, we wanted to be competitive and we decided let's, let's go with 15% uh, flat. And so that's how we decided to pick our commission. Yeah, that sounds really smart in hindsight. Um, so you're moving strong. There's some challenges, um, but you get an offer. Uh, how did that happen? And I know that you you are happy with the terms. So talk to us yeah. a bit about what happens in those conversations when you're negotiating, when somebody approaches you for a partial yeah. sale, a full sale. Yeah, yeah. So we had built multiple products in the playback journey. Like I said, we had the live shopping tool, we had the video marketplace. Our third product was basically in this process, the influencer workflow tool. 
So that is the product we sold. Um, the way this came about was I was actually part, um, and I can't disclose too much about the details until it's it's more public, but um, I was part of a, um, a startup group in New York. And uh, one of the founders in that group was also building for influencers. And in our Slack channel, she posted that she needed some um, some engineers. And, and for me, I was like, oh, well, why can't we just maybe potentially white label our technology or like give it as like um, a, a B2B, like a software, like a play, right? Where they can just license it. And so I reached out to her. We ended up chatting and uh, in the conversations, they loved what we built and they actually decided they're like, we don't want to license this. We would love to just have this and, and build it. And so that that was the first time that the acquisition um uh, I guess offer came and then the negotiations I I think it was a lot of negotiations back and forth they were also a startup so it, it's not like they had uh, you know uh, yeah. millions and millions of dollars but I wanted it to be a good outcome for my investors for for our team and then also like wanted it to be fair for them too. So we negotiated a, um, I mean, there was a lot of back and forth between how much equity we would get, how much uh, compensation we would get, what would the terms be. And so for me, what I did was like, I, I tried to be creative with the negotiation. So balancing the equity and the cash portion based on like the needs, and then also like being able to um, the time investment, right? So I negotiated that I would still be able to work on the video pieces if I needed to, or like something else on the side and my time would be split. Um, so that was one creative way of negotiating. And then the other thing was the combination of like equity. I mean, you know, when you first start, it's like single digits and I'm like, no, 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 it needs to. So just going back and forth, we spent about a month and a half. And I think we got to a really good outcome with uh, the equity that we have and the the cash component. Um, and then again, like I'm able to still like we were able to keep the playback name, keep the website, keep uh, uh, just transition all of that out and then do a, a full acquisition to this company um, for, um, yeah, for moving forward. So I think it's a combination of like equity, cash, and then your time and what else you can do with yeah. the other products that you've built in the process. So we carved those products out. We um, then decided that we could keep the name. We could basically have our time split, but where it's like a win-win for both companies and both are doing well. Yeah, I think the broader listen, uh, lesson for listeners is that you want to optimize for uh, equity, insurance, and freedom, because that's what you've got. Um, yes. yes, you summarized it very well. Exactly. So exactly. it's uh, for anyone who will listen, I think it's an important framework to keep in mind. Acquisitions are never straightforward. Uh, there's always a lot of back and forth. A lot of it cannot be discussed, but these are the broad principles people might want to keep in mind. Yep. And always just always think creatively, right? And and the first number is never going to be the last. We know that. But I think um, one thing I really like is, you know, Chris Voss, I've, I've you know, we've listened to and we've also done negotiations with Vasio yeah. uh, at INSEAD. Uh, you really have to like, just be smart and bold, right? Like know what you have to offer and have a number in your mind. And sometimes you start at a number that's much higher and then you work your way to achieve like the 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 number that's uh, that feels fair in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, for, for negotiation is really important. Keeping your minimum threshold and being bold uh, truly helps. And being able to justify it, like you know, whatever yeah. valuation you come up with, you must have a 
uh, a robust way to to explain it. In our case, uh, when we were going through uh, the acquisition uh, discussion, for us was we were very sure that uh, even though we were profitable, we didn't want it to be a revenue multiple because a lot of what we're creating is long-term digital assets, a long-term community play. So you got to mm -hmm. measure it as a lifetime value and you know yes. a value of, of a customer because if you do a, a, a revenue multiple, you're, you're mm -hmm. never going to get the optimum value of something like a community uh, and yes. community-built business model. So I always tell people to look at, uh, uh, look at it that way. So yeah, I think, this, yeah, just one more thing to add. I think part of it is also like how much time you're going to spend beyond like post acquisition. And then what do you and your team bring? So for us, like our tech team also is working on the, um, the, the acquisition, right? Like post acquisition, they're still with us. So you're getting a full built team, which has a lot of value that's worked together for, for a certain number of years. So you kind of have to look at everything, not just like the revenue or the longer term assets, but the people themselves yeah. as well, the value they bring. Yeah, just one more question on this front. Look, you obviously found a business model as well. If one company wants to acquire you, that means in theory, there are other companies out there as well who would want to white label it or like mm -hmm. acquire it for even more when it grows. So what was the conversation? There's no right answer here, but what was yeah. going on in your head? I think for us, you know, 2022 was a difficult time to raise. I remember um, just we were, because we had raised 500,000, that lasted us three years. We were being very minimal. I wasn't taking a salary. I was using my savings primarily for those three years. And so uh, I think- Wow, it became, you took no salary for three years? Yeah, yeah. Goodness I mean, I was living at home for a little bit. And then um, I did for like six months, I would say like the last six months, uh, but- uh, because I moved into the city and New York City is just very expensive. Um, but uh, but I was using my savings primarily and and even then it was it was just a lot. And so I think uh, for us, uh, a, a big part of it was we were running out of money and we wanted to see a home for this place, right? Like we built a really cool product and we knew the potential of this product. So uh, I remember February of last year, like I was like, how am I going to pay my rent in April? Like, I just didn't know. And I was doing part-time consulting for another startup, um, which was helping pay the bills and helping fund and keep the startup afloat. Yeah. Um, but when we, and that's really why we decided, hey, could we license our technology to multiple brands, multiple startups? Uh, and when I saw that, uh, that Slack message, I'm like, this makes sense. Like we can actually get more of like an enterprise, uh, like uh, revenue. And uh, so for me, like the acquisition really was like, we didn't want this product to just die because it's a really great product. And we wanted to continue to help like brands and influencers like with this workflow and with the AI capabilities we were building, it was truly unique and special. So for us, the acquisition was really like a way to save the, the product and then continue to have the financial, like the, the freedom to work on other things and have a financial, you know, compensation for, for my me, my, my co-founder and our team. Yeah. Well deserved that, and congratulations, Amita. This is I, when I read it uh, in the news. Um, I was really proud and happy to see uh, you take it forward. Thank you, and congrats to you too. I mean, it's exciting what you're doing here with the community and your acquisition as well. Yeah, uh, I was also very sure that I, I I was happy to sell a part of the company and not the entire company, yeah. and it helped that it was a unicorn, so you can be 
really flexible with, uh, uh, or at least you can be more bold with your asks. So, so that was uh, the clarity definitely helps. Mm -hmm. um, but you and I have this in common that we sold a part of a business, or there was uh, some part of it that's still going. But I'm really excited about the phase two of playback mm -hmm. as well. And I stumbled yeah. upon uh, a video by uh, the founder of co-founder of Morning Brew, Alex Lieberman, where yeah. he did like a fantastic one minute pitch. I was oh. like, now that mm -hmm. is a mini masterclass on how to pitch. Do you do you mind doing that one more time? Because I was blown away. I mean, I've spoken to you hundreds of times, but that pitch was yeah. truly spectacular. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that pitch... Uh... Uh, I think what helps is like uh, Alex Lieberman, he kind of gives you questions beforehand and you just fill out the questions and then, you know, you're just continuously talking for 60 seconds. So it has to be punchy. Like you have to get all of your points. Yeah. Um, the way that I prepared for that was like in my mind, I mean, this is the consulting brain coming in. I'm like, okay, what, what is the one liner? What is, so the structure, I want to talk about the structure before yeah. getting pitch. Um, it's really like you start out with a one-liner of like who you are and what your company is. And then it's like, you want to go into like the problem that you're solving. So, uh, really like be punchy one or two, uh, sentences on the problem and then how big that problem is and then why, like you started it and then, uh, pick a line on the solution and then give some examples and then close out with the vision. So I think for any pitch, uh, if you have a couple of key points, in your mind and you just practice it a few times like anyone can do it it's possible but laying out that structure or that outline is really important and i mean i've been pitching playback for like hundreds to hundreds and hundreds of brands so for me it, it just felt like pretty natural um but i would say like the advice i would give is like you kind of want to practice a little bit and have a structure in place which is typically like a one-liner on who you are what your company is and then a one-liner on what the problem is that you're solving, who it is that you're solving for, how big it is. Um, and you can do all of that in one, one or two sentences. And then what is your unique solution and why? And then give a few examples of um, companies you're working with, the traction that you have, and then close it out with your longer-term vision. Yeah, we'll put that link in the show notes, but strongly recommend people to, to, ch to check it out. Um, you also talked about your uh, uh, what the MRR could be in the coming months, yeah. which I also thought was a very effective way to show that the attraction is on your way. So um, really yeah. well done. I'm happy to do the pitch if you, I, I, I don't have I would like... love that if you don't mind, yeah. because I want yeah. people to really see what a one minute effective pitch looks like. Okay, okay. I'm happy to do it. I, I like haven't done it in a while. It's, it's been a month or two, but um, I am happy to start. Okay, so here's the pitch. Hi everyone, I'm Amita. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Playback. Playback is an interactive video marketing tool that helps brands increase their sales and conversion. So today there are 33 million small businesses in the US alone, and many don't know how to promote themselves or really show what makes their product unique or different. Um, Playback helps these small businesses increase their sales through short form interactive videos. Think of it like a TikTok-like experience. Growing up, my father worked um, and had a small store. So personally, I've seen the struggles that small businesses face, and I've worked with over 300 brands that struggle. And I think video marketing really is a unique solution that puts a face and a story behind the brand. 
Uh, we've spent uh, the last couple of months onboarding small businesses like Paro and Toffee Shop and uh, have, um, I guess we, we've spent the last uh, several months uh, onboarding Paro and Toffee Shop and are on track to do 10K MRR in the next six to nine months. Our vision with Playback is to really help every small business share their story through videos. We know that video content is something that resonates with today's generation. And I want to see every brand, just like my father's, um, be able to grow and scale through video, uh, through videos. It's not perfect. That, that, that's what it was. No, it was it's something. so helpful to understand the structure and then get a really, really effective one minute pitch. I can't, I mean, you know how difficult it is to, 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 to do justice because as an entrepreneur, you always think, Oh, my company also does this. My company also does yeah. this. How can I just call it a video platform? How can I just call it a mentorship platform? How can I just call it X? But yeah. synthesizing it and putting it uh, with numbers and a story is really important. So I think this will really help uh, our listeners and a very, very large number of people actually tune into the podcast from around the world. So I think they will benefit a ton from they, it. they should listen to the video I, I it's a little bit better on alex's i i stumbled a little bit here but um my team will definitely is, put that yeah. in the link it's 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 fantastic so i mean uh so you're building it uh you are on track to get to 10k mrr for anyone who's built anything 10k mrr is a very important milestone because if you don't get there you you obviously cannot go farther but 10k yeah. is a very good indicator that the market values you above mm -hmm. a certain threshold so you're on track uh, to that. What would it take to 10x it? And how are you thinking about hyperscale? Yeah, so I'm actually not thinking about hyperscale because right now I'm working on both the acquisition, the influencer workflow tool as a CEO, and I'm working on playback, right? So for me right now, the main thing is, um, I think in the past, when you think about just the VC landscape, it's all been about growth, growth, growth at any expense. And you see so many companies that are folding companies that you, you know, I just recently read about pitch uh, that, yeah. you know, they're having issues. So like you see really big companies that um, have scaled quite extensively, but they're not able to, to continue that. And so for me, the mindset is very different. I actually want to go back to the basic fundamentals and build a business that works, that is profitable from day one. And that is what I'm trying to do with both these companies. And so therefore, I'm not thinking of how to like hyperscale this. I'm thinking about how to gradually scale it so that we can build an amazing customer experience on both sides, right? So every customer that comes in, every small brand that's using playback has an amazing experience, is seeing returns and and we're able to eventually like cover our costs, right? So the team right now is very lean. Um, we are, I mean, we're not profitable today because we have a handful of brands, but uh, I know that we're gonna get there and and the way to get there is really slowly built, right? I don't wanna hire a ton of people. I don't wanna be able to like have, you know, crazy expenses, paid marketing. We're not doing any of that right now. It's really just me on the phone talking to small brands. And actually the Alex Lieberman video really helped. We got about 20 more, uh, you know, brands just within like two days um, that reached out to me. So I think just doing more things like that, uh, being in front of uh, audiences where your customers hang out. So one of the interesting things we learned is home services and real estate. I mean, these are small businesses that I wasn't even thinking about, but post the Alex Lieberman with video, 
those folks reached out to me. Now, a, a way to kind of scale, which is not spending a lot of money is being on these podcasts where home services folks hang out or real estate professionals hang out. And now you're uh, you're basically able to get in front of their entire audience. Um, so I would say do things like that that are free. And again, I would pick one or two things similar to when we were building the marketplace. Direct sales was working for us. Right now, it's a combination of direct sales and potentially being on podcasts that have the communities that we're trying to tap into. So yeah, not thinking about hyperscale, but really thinking about sustainable growth without hiring or paying extensively for ads and marketing. That's so important. I, I don't know if you know, Network Capital uh, still doesn't do any paid marketing. We, oh, really? Yeah, we don't do any paid marketing because uh, you know ever since, um, even before the acquisition, even before funding, uh, for, yeah. for for many years, I did network capital as a side hustle, as a weekend project stuff that I did on the uh, on nights and weekends. And we were profitable uh, in the early days. I discovered that the lifetime value of a community that's truly energized and, you know, that comes for the value of the product is significantly higher than uh, paid marketing can can attract. And I understand that it may not be the case for every business for us the most important metric is a lifetime value. How much yeah. can we impact the influence of one person, one organization? And typically that's not, you know, not typically buying a service for, you know, one short term outcome, like test mm -hmm. preparation, for instance. Yeah. And uh, I've always found that uh, we, we, we manage the pandemic reasonably well. Mm -hmm. And even now where we can, we choose not to. Instead, we want our community to be our biggest champions. So yeah. It's, um, it's glad to see that uh, approach. Have you heard of this company called Gumroad? Yes, I have. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, they also have gone through multiple, you know, ups and downs in their journey, mm -hmm. raising and then, you know, not yeah. being able to support people and then finally finding their path to profitability. So maybe that's the way forward, path to profitability and sustainable growth. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I think, uh, I mean, the market conditions are saying that too, right? So it's very hard. I uh, So I'm a mentor at first round and I've been part of like the primary VC fellowship. They're both uh, early stage uh, um, VCs here in New York. And uh, I think, you know, what I see and what I'm hearing is all VCs, all investors, even angel investors, like what they care about is... Um, you know, is this company going to survive and are they profitable? And so no one, it's very hard these days to uh, just raise on a story and on growth, unless of course you have access to um, folks and, and capital. It's, it's really difficult for an entrepreneur just to go out there and say, hey, I have this vision and this is how I'm going to grow like 100x and, and get funding. So I think build a business that's strong, that has good unit economics and the investors will come. I was about to ask you uh, if you really, really, really succeed in uh, in your mission, what would the world looks like? But I feel that you answered it. Would you like to add anything additional, hypothetical scenario? Uh, what do you visualize this company to become? Uh, yeah, so um, I think, you know, th there's two companies I'm running at the moment. So with the influencer workflow, I there's so many brands. I mean, as you know, you're, you're passionate about the passion economy. I think that... Um, there's going to be so many people that marketing is fundamentally changing. It's really through people, not through just uh, ads that are pretty and fabricated and, and things like that. And so 
I think uh, with the influencer management workflow tool that we're building, I imagine a world where so many companies, not only consumer product companies, but even B2B companies are actually marketing themselves through thought leaders and influencers. And they're really able to do it seamlessly without a massive team, without a lot of operational headache through our AI virtual assistant that helps them manage that back and forth. And they're able to do that at scale and promote themselves. So I see lots and lots of brands, both not only on the consumer side, but on the B2B side too, with tapping into LinkedIn professionals and so on to manage that 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 skill of getting your word out through people. And then on the playback, the video side, I really just imagine a world where it just feels like you would offline. Like, you know, you right now, like you and I are not in the same city, but we're in this video chat. And I very much feel like I'm in the same room as you. And I want people to go on websites, discover stories of founders and be able to make more educated decisions. Like some things are hard, right? Like we talked to some financial companies, um, some B2B financial companies. So not everyone wants to disclose everything about their finances or fertility companies. Like not everyone wants to say like, am I researching this? Am I going into this? So having like a pre-recorded video experience where you can qualify yourself for topics that are sensitive, I think is just really, really cool on the consumer side. And on the brand side, it's uh, it's just great to be able to put a face to your brand and to be able to tell your story in a more human way and to scale yourself because it's really hard to have a hundred in-person conversations. How can we do that through like a few short recorded videos that the world can then see? So I'd love to see both these products used by hundreds of small businesses, larger businesses all over the world and the consumers having a really good experience on the receiving end. Small businesses make up, uh, you know, the largest chunk of the economy. One of the companies where I'm an investor and an advisor is building LMs specifically for small businesses. So oh, that's where the future is. Yeah, yeah. Now I love it. Tell me, Amita, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't or any parting thoughts before we open it up for audience questions? Um, you know, I, I think you ask good questions. I would just say I would love to see more, you know, what really... Uh, motivates me uh, to to build is I want to see more women, women of color, just building billion dollar companies. And uh, I, you know, I mentor women at first round and uh, just outside like uh, founder friends. And so I just, I, that really motivates me and I want to see more women do this. So um, if there's anything I could do to help folks, I'm happy to always. You already did through this. Thank you so much, Amita. Look forward to having you back. Sounds great. Thanks, Utkarsh.